began in the book of Ruth here in chapter 1, and we were, we were looking at uh, how God is dealing with his covenant people. And we saw uh, in this big tapestry of God's work uh, just a few of threads uh, of the life of, uh, of some of God's people, God's people who actually had run away from what God was doing, uh, run away from God's covenant community, run away from living in the promises of God, run away from faithfulness and obedience to God. They had run away to a very terrible place, a place called Moab. And there they found all kinds of hardships. What, what was bad just got worse. And we, we pick up the story there where a man named Elimelech has taken his family from Bethlehem, the city of bread, the house of bread, because there was a famine. God's judgment was on, on Bethlehem. And so they left and they went to Moab and there their sons married and Naomi, the wife, whose name means pleasant, her husband dies, Elimelech dies. And then after some time, some 10 years, the sons die as well. And so that's where we are now, where this woman, Naomi, is in this distant place, this faraway place, in many ways this God-forsaken place, and things are getting hard there. She can't get a job. She doesn't have any means of support. Her only, her only chance is to go back home. And as we, we saw last week, that God is still working in a way that maybe, well, that Naomi cannot see. And the very last verse we read yesterday was that, the, that they had heard in the fields of Moab, while they were in the fields of Moab, they have heard that God had visited his people in Bethlehem, and there was once again bread in the house of bread. And it was this, this inaudible voice of God saying, go home, go home, go home, come back to me. Reminiscent uh, of the prodigal son's father saying, come home, and, and running towards his son. God's arms are still open towards Naomi. And so now they have heard that there is food again. So I will stop for just a second here. You know, oftentimes we think this is a very kind of archaic way of looking at things, like that there is calamity or there is trouble. Uh, and today when there is trouble or calamity or, or problems, we would say that, has, that God is not in that. That is only a, like the demonic forces of this world. But God is at work. He gives and he takes away. Uh, for, you, for those who have been following the story of uh, Hamaray and our training of pastors in East Africa, uh, you know we're starting to learn geography in our church. So we know that in northern Kenya, it's very dry and desolate. Uh, some of you have already been, th been there. And so we're in a place called Archer's Post that is, uh, that is in the middle of a, a drought. It's already a very dry place, but they are in the middle of a drought that's been lasting for several years now. In 2017 was... Uh, a real low, low point for them. In fact, it was so bad the, that the, uh, the elephants have left the game park and are in the town. We had, a ra we had to chase off elephants last time we were there. Isn't that crazy? Like there's elephants in town. So uh, it's really dry. And so, so the animals have even come out of the park looking for something better and there's, they're not finding anything. 
And there, there is regularly when we go, um, we, we go and the Lord brings rain with us. And they, they know that there is a like, we understand what God is doing. Like when God's favor is coming, his blessings are coming with these people, with the word of God and it's bringing life to this place. Last week, um, we had Pastor Linus. Some of you have met him as well. He brought a, a, a group of guys that we'd already trained. And so they led the class uh, in Kiswahili, which we led, led in English a couple of months ago. And because of the, the political tensions have calmed down, they were able to go and teach. And they said, while we were there, it rained all week long. And it was cool. Blessings of God. It, it's no coincidence. It's no coincidence. And so now... God is blessing Bethlehem again. People are, uh, uh, Naomi is, is looking at going back home. And when she does in the second half of chapter one, she has to deal with her daughters. Look in verse six with me. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with me, dead with, uh, dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. And they lifted their voices and wept. So here's the situation. They are at a, a crossroads and they have to make a decision of what's going to happen next. She, she gathers her daughter-in-law today and she is there to give them goodbyes. I want you to think about how you would respond in this situation. There are two Moabite women who are widows. And they are with Naomi, and Naomi's saying, there's nothing here for me. I'm going home. I'm, I'm going to go back. And as we'll see in this story, Naomi's not, her name is pleasant, but she doesn't act very pleasant anymore. You've heard that expression, hurting people hurt people. Naomi is hurt. She is at great loss. As we look at this story today, we're going to find when we come to a crossroads and we are in the middle of emptiness, when we feel broke or broken, which way are we going to go? In this story, we see two very divergent paths. We see this, the, the, the story of Naomi, who in her emptiness becomes bitter. And then we see in the story of Ruth, a parallel story, when she is in this place of emptiness and brokenness, she actually finds love. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're more loved than you know. Turn to the other neighbor and say, seriously. You are more loved than you really know. We're going to actually discover a kind of love that's grander than you might have thought before. A layer to love that is new, a deeper. This 
word has said. Last week we talked about there are several things, we're going to see several themes throughout the book of Ruth. We learn about God's has said in the book of Ruth. Uh, a kind of love that is beyond the love that maybe you and I are used to, kind of the framework. So today we're going to look at a kind of an outlandish kind of love that God has, has said. We're also going to see God's sovereign hand working throughout history in the lives of the community, but us as individuals as, as well. God is going to accomplish something among us, God's sovereign hand. Today, as we see in the story, we, we see that these women have come to a crossroads. You know, I used to love those books, uh, Choose Your Own Adventure. Do you know the Choose Your Own Adventure books? Yeah? So, so like uh, you, you come to a certain part in the story and it says, if you think the story should go this way, turn to this page and this way. And so you're always kind of making up, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Am I crazy here? Yeah. Okay. You're with me. So we're at that crossroads where like, they're going to choose their own adventure. Which way are they going to go? And Naomi says, look, girls, uh, I can't help you. <laughs> I can't provide you a husband. So if you go with me, you're going to be broke and widowed the rest of your life. Don't go with me. Not only that, uh, I can't even have kids that can grow up and you can, they can be your husbands. I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing for you. And they said, we want to go with you. <laughs> I don't think you understand. I have nothing for you. And she doesn't. She, she is going to go back to a place that when she left, everyone was crossed, uh, you know, looked at her sideways as she left, right? Because she was leaving in the midst of the famine, in, uh, in the midst of God disciplining his people. She left and went to the horrible place of Moab. It, she was a turncoat. She was a traitor, and she left. And so now she's going to go back into that same situation and bring two Moabite women with her. That's not going to go well. So the girls say, they, they hug her, they love on her, they cry, they kiss. They say, we want to go with you. And she says, no. Verse 11, but Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? I have, have I yet sons in my wombs that may become your husbands? Turn back. Go home, go home, go home, she says. What would you choose? I mean, think about it. What would be your adventure there? You're Naomi. I mean, if you're Ruth or you're Orpah, that's the other one, what would you do? If you were wise, you would go home. If you wanted to take care of yourself, you would go home. You would listen to Naomi, Naomi clearly says, there is zero for you in this place. So once again, they said, we will go with you. And she says, no, don't go with me. Verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. The other one's gone back, Naomi says to Ruth. And she's gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. It only makes sense. We're about to see something out of Ruth that is very special. It's a special kind of love. It's Hasid kind of love. And so we're going to get to examine this. But before we do that, I want to tell you, as I'm studying this, this is a really peculiar story. It doesn't quite make sense. Because in just a second, we're going to see that Ruth 
is going to be elevated in her reaction to, uh, to Naomi. That this Moabite woman who doesn't know the God, she doesn't really know the God that we're talking about, our God. She is this woman that's set apart. She's about to be put on a pedestal for her kind, this kind of love, so much so that Naomi is going to challenge God to have this same kind of love that Ruth has for Naomi. Isn't that kind of weird? Isn't it kind of weird that God would use a Moabite woman to show a great example of a, an astounding kind of love? It is weird unless you think about the, the bigger picture of the scriptures. You see this happening not too, uh, uh, I mean, f- fairly often in the, in the New Testament. Jesus tells the story uh, of, a, of a centurion in Luke chapter 10. And the centurion is, is a Gentile, but when the Gentile comes up, he says, will you just heal my child? And this Gentile says, look, uh, you don't have to come, just say the word. And Jesus is like, wow, like I don't see another kind of faith in all of Israel like this centurion. Why would God choose a centurion to have great faith? Why was that story recorded? Or then we hear the story, a story that Jesus tells, a parable of a good Samaritan, right? So uh, the question was, how, uh, who is your neighbor? And Jesus gives this great story about this man uh, who is fallen alongside the road here, a Jew, and all the religious people pass by. But the hero of the story is who? A Samaritan. Like the worst kind of people. Why would Jesus choose a Samaritan to be the hero of a Jewish story? It doesn't make sense, right? Kind of go. I don't understand why he's doing this. You know, I'm missing part of it. And it's to highlight, to wake us up and say, I want you to see the example that I want you to see. And I don't want you to get mixed up in culture and what you think. And I want you to see this is a God kind of love. It's extraordinary. It's kind of like us saying, uh, you, should kind of have the, you should have the meekness of Gandhi. Like, are we, we're not Gandhi kind of people, are we, you know? Or like about two years ago, uh, we, we heard this story about uh, in, in northern Kenya where there's a heavy tribal and Muslim religions, there was a bus going through that had both Christians and Muslims on it, and some Islamic terrorists came up to attack the bus, and on the bus, the Muslims changed clothes, shared their clothes with the, the, with the Christians so that the Islamic terrorists couldn't, wouldn't know who was who. And so the hope was that they wouldn't kill anyone or that they would kill everyone. So who's the hero in that story? Muslims. <laughs> Do we tell those kinds of stories? But it is a picture of, what, of a greater kind of love that helps you go, okay, I get it, I understand. There's something greater going on here. Listen to what Ruth says. This Moabite woman who ought to go home, she responds in a way that we could not guess. Here it goes. She says in verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do, to, do so to me and more also, if anything but death 
parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Naomi says to Ruth, I don't care what's happening in the future. I know it's desperate and I know that it doesn't look good, but I am committed to you. And where you go, I'm going to be there. And if you die, I'm going to die with you. And if you die, I'm going to stay that place and I'm going to be buried because your people are my people and your God is my God. How can this Moabite woman take on this, this God of Israel? She seems so far removed, but yet she, she says, I will make my life like yours and I will hold on to you and I will go and I will be with you. And I don't want you to miss this. There is nothing good that seems to be happening in, in Bethlehem. There is nothing for her there. Why would she go? Why would she cling to this woman who has no prospects? It's a mystery, isn't it? It's a display of, the word here is hesed. It's a love that goes beyond just duty. So you're a daughter-in-law to, to, uh, to Naomi. What is your responsibility to this woman? Like socially, culturally, what, what should you do at this crossroads? Well, I think the, the girls are pretty generous, aren't they? Like, we'll go with you, you know? We're, we're dedicated to you. And then Naomi says, it's not going to work. Y'all go home. And Orpah goes, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> I mean, there is this, like, I love you. We've been together for a while. I want to support you and encourage you. I want to do what's right by you. And Naomi says, you're not even doing what's right by me. Go home. And Orpah says, yeah, you're right. But Ruth says, I don't care. I am dedicated and devoted to you. I'm dedicated and devoted to you. I am going to love you. So we, we have this, um, this passage. We used to have this passage in sermons, I mean, in, in weddings. I haven't, I haven't heard this very lately in very many weddings. Have you, Justin, to many of the, this Ruth passage? Because, you know, as you read it, you go, this is not really about marriage. I mean, it's about mother-in-law. I mean, if you really were to go much further and explain it in your sermon, like it's between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. So it's a little bit awkward in the service. And so for a while, I was thinking that's not... I, wouldn't, I would suggest maybe you not because that's not the context. But as you look at it, you see, well, actually, this kind of love is what needs to happen in marriage. In fact, she, it says here that she clung, uh, that Ruth clung to Naomi. The word is actually cleave. If you remember that from the book of Gen Genesis, when it talks about the husband and wife, that they should leave their houses and they should cleave together. They should come together. And this is the same word. So it's, it is a marriage idea. This has said kind of love is not just applicable, obviously, between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, but it's applicable between husband and wife. It's a kind of love that is beyond duty. It's a kind of love that seeks the good of the other person, even if it doesn't necessarily profit us. It is a clinging to, a cleaving to. It is a living life together no matter what happens. Sounds like we're, what we're supposed to do in marriage, right? You know, if I, I come home from, um, from a hard day's work and I gather up some flowers, and I, you know, I know that Wendy loves these flowers. She loves daisies, by the way, and so I bring home these 
daisies and I have them in a little pot and I set it like that and she's, oh, is that so wonderful? And, and she says, oh, thank you, sweetie. And I said, yeah, it's, it's my duty. How would that go over? All right. <laughs> All of a sudden, my kind action have no real value because it was just my duty. It wasn't hased. It wasn't this love that goes beyond the covenant, right? It, it's more than that. The love I have for you is I don't do this because I have to. I do it because I love you. And I know that you love daisies. And I know you've had a hard day. I've been thinking about just so I brought these home for you. Not because it's our duty. Is it my duty? Well, yeah, it really is my duty. I should be doing those kind of things. But more importantly, it is a love that goes beyond expectation, a love that goes beyond the requirements. And that's the kind of said love here. She is not responsible. She has no cultural, no, no cultural reason to take care of her. It's not a social custom to do that. She doesn't have to take care of her. Uh, because of efficiency, she doesn't have to, she shouldn't take care of her because uh, it's going to make any sense because of wisdom. She just loves her. She just loves her. And she'll do anything for her mother-in-law. It's a unique kind of love. And so she starts to march out with her. I want you to see in the emptiness, we see that uh, Ruth responds with a dynamic, powerful kind of love, said. But that's not the same response that we get from Naomi. Verse 19, so two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Can you imagine the sight? Here comes back after 12, 13, 14 years, we, we, we see Naomi coming back and she has someone in tow, but she's also missing the rest of the family, there's, it causes a stir. Is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitter. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant anymore, but call me bitter. The other reaction, a very common reaction that we have when we are empty, when we are broken, when we are lost, when we lose our job, when we have broken relationships, uh, when our, our bills are much more than our income, when, when we, uh, we experience uh, financial and even spiritual loss, when we have these kinds of troubles, what is our response? Oftentimes our response is to either try to take control or to wallow in bitterness and brokenness and to focus on our loss. See how it affects Naomi? How does she view her leaving Bethlehem? She says, when I left, I was, did you see that? When I left, I was full. She was full. What was happening? There was a famine. She didn't leave because she was full. Yeah, she had her family with her. But she left, and now she says, I come back, and I am empty. How do you think that that made Ruth feel? I got nothing. I'm broke. Like, Ruth is like, 
I want you to see Naomi's attitude here in verse 22. It says, uh, uh, sorry, in, in verse uh, 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Oh, I'm sorry, in verse 18 he says, And when Naomi, Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So Naomi, uh, Ruth says to her, I'm going to go with you. And Naomi's like, she says nothing to her. Not like, oh, you're so sweet. Way to go, girl, we'll do this together. No. She's like, okay. And she leaves. She doesn't even recognize that Ruth is a blessing to her. I came back and I, I'm empty. It's a, you know how our minds change in the middle of our emptiness. You know what I'm talking about? We see things differently, don't we? We fail to see blessings. We misinterpret the troubles and trials that we're in. We don't see clearly. We don't think clearly. And our hearts are oftentimes moved to bitterness. In that crossroads, when it's time to choose your own adventure and your emptiness and brokenness, will you choose bitterness or has said love? Will you apply that love to God in trust? I believe you. I'm going to go where you go. Your plans are my plans. I will go to the grave for you. And your emptiness, which will you choose? God has this kind of love and beyond for you and me. We are more loved than we can imagine. It's not just this covenant relationship. God really cares about you and me in the midst of our loss. He is at work. Do you believe it? Can you trust him? Last week at the end of the sermon, I asked you to listen very carefully. And I'm going to ask you to listen very carefully to, to the last, verse, last verses. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Did you hear it again? The inaudible voice of God calling to this woman who is bitter and broken. And he's saying to her once again, come home. To this woman, come home. This is a chesed kind of love. It loves beyond what we do or how we act. Oh, Jesus, we, uh, we listen for your voice today.